It becomes a rhythm for our shared being and work as God's beloved. Today we're going to pause. Um, we have been spending quite a bit of time with the prophets, um, particularly Isaiah. And we're going to pause from looking at the prof- prophetic text, and we're going to now enter the story of the incarnation, the story of Jesus born among us, right? God's love made evident in the most profound of ways. As we re-enter this familiar story told in Luke chapter 2, I want us to take a moment and feel the invitation to pause, to dig deep, to breathe, making room in our beings to hear this story afresh, being frank about what we notice in the text and in the story, and allow God to be frank with us. I'm going to be reading from the NRSV and then sharing just a few reflections as we prepare to fully celebrate Jesus' birth tomorrow. Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus to all the world, or empire, that all should be registered. This was the first registration that was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was a descendant from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged, and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in bands of cloth, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. In that region there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made, known what had, they made known what had been told to them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told. This is the word of the Lord. I want to offer just a few observations, a few wonderings, if you will, some reflections. 
First of all, verse 1 says, all the world or all the empire should be registered. Notice the preoccupation with counting in order to matter. There's a bottom line here. And I want to just note that, of course, marginalized people feel this the most, as they have long been counted only when it benefits the empire. Counted to be exploited, held captive, even if just simply to pay taxes to bolster a system that largely ignores them. This journey to Bethlehem was required. We should note that Joseph was the descendant of the house of David of Bethlehem. What we often miss is that this also means that he was royal and would have been welcomed anywhere in that town. Mary, on the other hand, was not. The journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem is 40 miles through the Samaritan and Judean hills. I want to recall what I shared a couple of weeks ago about the adaptations our bodies make when we undergo stress, particularly in terms of breathing when elevation changes. Mary and Joseph had to travel not only through some hostile territory, but they had to go up from Nazareth to Bethlehem, which is built on a ridge. Surely this journey was stressful particularly so on a pregnant Mary. As one commentator noted, that's not to say that it propelled Mary into labor. You see, she didn't actually give birth upon arrival as we often assume, okay? Verse 6 says, while they were there. The duration of their time in Bethlehem is unknown, but we might assume that Mary had a host of complex interactions while in the city. Pregnant, unwed, carrying a story and truth that were unbelievable. Verse 7, she gave birth to her firstborn son. Now, I don't think any parents are ready for their first baby, or maybe their second, or third, or fourth, or, I mean, God bless you if you have more than that. <laughs> we have no idea what we will feel or what to do. We look to the community, to those around us, to join in raising children. At least that's my experience. But then I wonder, maybe Mary and Joseph knew what to do because they were part of a community where generations lived together, everyone doing their part. What I noticed in this story is that Mary births wisdom, and Joseph holds wisdom close. When you carry, hold, and birth wisdom that God gifts to you, you inherently know what to do. You follow that instinctive truth while still joining with the rest of community in birthing new life and fostering growth. Verse 7 also says that they wrapped him in bands of cloth. As I pictured this, I can't help but notice that these are filthy rags redefined. 
Because if birth is one thing, it for sure is messy. There is nothing clean about it. And I was reminded of our text again a couple of weeks ago, Isaiah 64, that referred to filthy rags. So now, what was deemed unclean or unholy is enfolding the holiest of holies, God's self. There's no need for squirming or separation or missing out on the fullness of life that is beautifully abundant through fluids, blood, flesh, and bodies. By the way, you know those blankets that uh, we quickly wrap around and hold newborns in just, just moments after birth. I just say they're not real barriers. Even when you think you've escaped the mess of birth, the baby is handed to you in these filthy rags, and to make things even more messy, they might do what? Poop. You can ask John, he's experienced this. It's quite fun. And so I wonder, what does it look like to live unburied to all the ways that God's love might show up in this season ahead? Verse 10, do not be afraid. The instinct when seeing angels is, of course, to flee, right? But wait, there is good news of great joy for all people. The multitude of angels say in praise to God, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace among those whom he favors. I can only imagine the shepherds hearing in that God desires or delights in you and in all people. This is love. This is the good news. And so in verse 15, they go to see what the Lord has made known. I imagine the shepherds experiencing wisdom revealed, but frankly thinking to themselves, uh, we're going to have to see this for ourselves. Because we're not so unlike the shepherds. Of course, of course they needed to go see this for themselves. And then upon their arrival, can you imagine being Mary and Joseph, along with those who may have been gathered around them, Hearing the story from the shepherds. Remember, according to rabbinic tradition, shepherds were seen as unclean, the poor, the lowly, the rejected. These strangers just show up at the birth, and frankly, they sound a little crazy. And then again, I imagine that as Mary and Joseph listened, they might have thought to themselves, stories of angelic visits? Yeah, well, I guess we've had those ourselves. They may have even felt, someone gets me. I'm not the only one. Maybe, just maybe, that's another reason why Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds' response was similar. They returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. 
And as I reflect on this, I think the work of the Spirit becomes known. It becomes revealed in all mystery and uncertainty and wonder through patterns or rhythms. This is how wisdom comes. Beaming forth justice, reminding us, you are not alone. This is what God says to the world this Christmas. Wisdom is participating in the invitation to kingdom life, where love, peace, and joy abound. Where life is abundant, not free of the messiness, but full. Here we are loved. We are changed. Our reading from Isaiah 9 earlier this morning, verse 7 says, He will establish and uphold it, meaning peace, with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. From this time onward, changed. We live in the forevermore. This Christmas, may we lean into all of the fullness ahead. Carrying, birthing, and holding wisdom. In those moments that we might interrogate the ways in which the empire tries to assign worth or keep us separated from one another and from justice being experienced through connection. In all the ways in which we might be inclined to throw up our hands thinking, we don't know what to do with new birth, or this is too messy. In the moments we might be tempted to flee from what God is calling us to bear witness to. And in all the ways in which we might wonder, do I sense something new breaking into this world? Or maybe I'm not the only one. This Christmas, may the incarnation, God not only breaking into our situation, but taking on flesh, renew in us a sense of justice, of deep connection as the love of God swaddles us, wrapping us in cloths embracing the world in all of our beautifully messy fullness. Might we experience new birth, coupled with the reality, holding hand in hand both the joy and the suffering. Might we bear witness, participating in the kingdom as Jesus the Christ establishes and upholds peace with justice and righteousness. This Christmas, may we not only celebrate, but embrace Jesus, who is wisdom, the love of God birthed in, through, and among us, showing us the way. May it be so. Amen. I want to invite you to scroll or turn to your Lord's Table liturgy and Christ candle lighting because this is Christmas Eve. We also get to light our Christ candle today.
and you can join in the bolded parts. God takes on flesh and joins life in the struggle. This is what radical solidarity feels like. Lives and souls and bodies entangled, risks and possibilities shared. We're in this together. The mess, the beauty, the work. Don't be afraid to feel hopeful. God's promises are kept. God won't opt out or turn away. God won't give up when things get tough. God won't defend power or privilege or institutions or tradition at the expense of freedom or love or liberation or your worth. God's witness is birthed at the margins. God knows what's at stake. Let all who are weary rejoice. All of evil's deceptions will be revealed and fear of unjust powers will cease. The liberating one now dwells among us, calling upon hearts from all walks of life to open, to take courage, to soften, to release. Behold, the sacred enfleshed reveals the way of love. As we draw closer to Christmas, we rejoice over the good news. Born in the shadows of night, Christ is our light. Dying on a rough cross, Christ is our life. Rising from a cold tomb, Christ is our hope. Returning to us once more, Christ is our promise. Pour out your spirit upon us, wonderful counselor, and on the gifts you have given us. We lift the broken bread, praying we would be made whole, at peace with one another and reconciled to you. As we drink the juice, we believe that our salvation has come, and we are one with Christ. As your joy flows into us, may we become a river carrying your justice to the marginalized. As your hope sings in our hearts, may we carry your righteousness to all who suffer. And as we taste the promise of the feast you prepare for us in your kingdom, may we live for you and serve your children as we have been served by the child of Christmas, Jesus Christ, our blessed Savior. The table of the Lord is open for all who seek the way of love. Come.